This week, President-elect Dr. Douglas Kratt of the AVMA. You do not want to miss this exclusive conversation on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the tough topics that we continually talk about here is the role of the American Veterinary Medical Association in our profession, leading us, guiding us, inspiring us, and setting some of the rules and regulations and guidelines that we need to have today. We are so fortunate to have President-elect Dr. Douglas Kratt of the AVMA. He's going to tell us all about the great things he's got planned. But before we get into that, as always, I am your co-host, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, if you don't know, we've got a new president coming in next year, and his name is Dr. Douglas Kratt. Now, Douglas Kratt is a through-and-through Wisconsiner. He is currently a small animal practitioner in La Crosse, Wisconsin, or maybe they say La Crosse, Wisconsin. I don't know if it's French or German or what. He graduated in 1998 from the University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, just quite cold there. And one of the things that he told during his campaign was that he didn't have a specific agenda that he really wanted to listen to his constituents. So today is part of that process. Welcome to the Veterinary Viewfinder, Dr. Doug Kratt. Thank you for having me. And uh, yep, Dr. Ward, we definitely have a veterinary school in Wisconsin. Uh, very appreciative that, you know, your bulldogs also use our colors. So it's pretty good. Oh, <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And, and but unfortunately, fired. we don't uh, have the same football ranking. But hey, you know, we're not counting that. But you guys have a great basketball team. But but back to the seriousness, um, Dr. Kratt, obviously, we're super excited about your oncoming presidency. You will take uh, office next year at the uh, annual meeting in July. So July 2020. Um, but first and foremost, just let's dial it back a little bit. I mean, how did you become a veterinarian? Why did you become a veterinarian? Boy, those are great questions. Um, you know, I don't follow the typical speech part of it, right? Um, I wasn't always wanting to be a veterinarian. It's not that I didn't want to be, but it really wasn't on my radar. So went to high school, went to college, actually um, worked for Walt Disney World for a little bit as I was going through college trying to find myself. Went back to the University of Wisconsin La Crosse and started taking classes. Kind of really enjoyed the science aspect and the math aspect and started looking at what are things that I can do with it. And veterinary medicine was one of those things. I really thought, boy, that's pretty cool. You know, all these different things we get to do on a daily basis. I really shouldn't ever become bored or tired with it because it's always something new coming coming your direction and you get the benefit that we're practicing medicine and so we're helping the animals that um, can't talk to us and but we can definitely make them feel better yeah and you know doug i think that's a really important point uh, one of the things that i found very interesting about you was that you had a bit of an atypical path i mean you may even be one of those first sort of elected officials of the AVMA that actually did this other sort of career and, and you know, you got a different degree before you actually came back to veterinary medicine. How do you think that will shape your perspective moving forward? Well, you know, all of these things that make us up give us our unique paths, right? It's not a right. good or a bad path, but it gives us a unique path. So being able to look at a broader picture, looking at things from different angles, I think is beneficial to all of us. And I, I'm hoping that that serves us well. Okay. So after you go back and figure out, hey, you know, vet medicine is kind of the thing for me. Tell us about your, you know, going through vet school. And when you graduated, what was your first job like? 
Boy, so this is going to be a little bit different path for you. Uh, <laughs> I know, <Ward>. I know. <laughs> so um, I graduated from Wisconsin in 1998. Originally went to school thinking I was going to do mixed animal work. Um, I had the opportunity in my third year. I was offered a position already back at the practice that I did my pre-veterinary work at in on Alaska, Wisconsin, and figured um, my wife is also a veterinarian. She was two years behind me at Wisconsin, said, hey, honey, I can stay in Madison where there's a lot of veterinarians already, or I can go back to our hometown where both our families are from and at least start there. And, and that's what we thought I would do. And then by the, my fourth year, my boss had already talked to me, hadn't been working here yet, but my boss already talked to me about, do I want to own a practice someday? And I knew that was probably in the cards of something I want to do. Didn't know for sure, but I thought it was in the cards. So honestly, graduated in May of 98, became a solo practitioner owning a practice in October of 98, and have just kind of built it up and gone from there. And Dr. Yeah. Ward, not dating us at all, but one of the first um, leadership discussions I ever went to was... When you came to Wisconsin to talk with us about um, how to make the best of your team. Wow. Yeah. Oh. I have some fond memories up there. It's, it's beautiful. But I, I do like this atypical pathway because I think too often, you know, look, I mean, Doug, it's it's no secret. I've, I mean, all I've ever known or wanted to be was, was a veterinarian. I, I'm one of those old school kind of people, I guess you'd say. But it's really important for us as we embrace these generational shifts and and even gender shifts and, and, and just the entire change in the perspective around animal care that we make sure that we are realizing, hey, not everybody grew up in a farming background knew they wanted to be a vet from when they were seven or whatever. So I love that you brought that in there. The other part, too, that I would like for you just to briefly touch on is the fact that you're a dual veterinarian household, right? And that also has its own unique uh, strengths and potential you know, challenges. Uh, very much so. So my wife, um, as I said, is a veterinarian. We're both small animal practitioners. We thought about this long and hard before we decided to go down that path. When she was getting ready to graduate, she was also thinking about doing mixed animal practice. And at that point, the practice had grown enough. I had one part-timer and I said, Kim, you know, I need a second veterinarian, a full, another second full-time veterinarian, and we can go hire somebody. Or we could, or if you would be interested in the position, we can do it. And so we had a very serious discussion about mentorship, about our roles within the house, how it would and and within the clinic, and how that would affect us, and would we be able to do it? We decided to jump both feet in. We also have two children um, that have grown up in the veterinary community. One's now a senior in high school. One's a sophomore in high school. So it's always been challenges, but you know they haven't been insurmountable. That hasn't always been smooth. She'll be the first to say it, but it works out very well for us. She doesn't want to be in the management aspect. She really just wants to be in, not just, but she really wants to be a veterinarian. She takes, she has her own career interests and in, including organized veterinary medicine. And we just make it work. Yeah. And, and Doug, you know, I'm a strong supporter. My wife, Laura, who was a speech language pathologist doing human head trauma patients and studying, you know, at Braintree and all this stuff. Uh, she came into the clinic, as you know, and worked with me for, you know, nearly 30 years. Uh, so when it works out, when a husband and wife can work together, it is the most powerful team on the planet. When it does not, sadly, it is often divorce or at least moving to a different state. But we'll leave that for another discussion. Okay, so you guys now are in private practice right out of school. You know, uh, you're, 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 
thrust into practice ownership. What were some of those initial challenges that maybe caught you unaware? Like you said, whoa, I didn't expect to have to deal with that so much because I think that's when people transition from school to from associates or whatever to ownership. To me, this is a whole new world. But what were some of the things that you experienced? So obviously the human resource part of things was something that I may not have had um, as strong of a background in as I thought, and, and I don't know if I still do, but it's it's great. And second of all, um, the demand on our time, and I don't want to use demand like it's negative, but you know our clients were not done with our job a lot of time at five o'clock. Right. They're sick pets, right? We can't hit the pause button and come back and and start up the DVR tomorrow morning in the same position. So that was a little bit different. Um, but again, it's something I enjoyed. And and it, for me, and again, everybody's different. For me, it worked. And I think for my wife, it worked. And probably the last thing would have been, you know, when the kids were growing up, we had to balance right, that as well. Right. Okay, so at the sake of calling you out here, Dr. Kratt, you then decided to run for AVMA president at... <laughs> When, when the demand got really high, you went and did more. So, so tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the AVMA and, and decided to take this path. Yeah, because you've been doing this a long time. I mean, I think a lot of times people don't realize how long you've actually been in leadership positions. So it's great. So, Becky, it wasn't that I jumped right in, right? So what I did first is I had some good colleagues in the area, and they knew that I was brand new. And they were clinic owners, but their colleagues, they weren't competitors. So I joined my local VMA, partially for support, yeah. so people knew what I was doing, partially so we could bounce ideas off of each other. From there, I went to the Wisconsin Veterinary Medical Association because they, they asked me to participate, so I did. So I sat on their board of directors and then eventually became their president. With that, we were I was getting more involved with the AVMA. You know, I'd been involved with the student chapter of the AVMA when I was in school. And then I jumped to serving in their House of Delegates. And so I just completed eight years in their House of Delegates and did numerous things within the AVMA. Been very appreciative, but I always believe that it's part of my duty to give back to the people that have helped me, to give back to the profession that's been great for me. And this is one of the ways I can think I can do it. Um, jumping in, my wife has served on the CVTEA. So that's, Becky, you may be familiar yep. with the CVTEA. She's chaired that um, two different times and she's on their selection committee. So we both believe we need to give back and we want to give back. And and, and I think that's in, in helping the younger veterinarians, helping career transition veterinarians, helping anybody that's interested in it. It's just part of the duty that we feel like we should do. I love it. I love that you say that. And I think it's really important because when I'm out speaking or I'm out at conferences and such, I often have, you know, younger technicians or, or even maybe not just age wise younger. Right. But less experienced come to me and say, how did you get where you are? How did you get involved and in, in how did you get here? Because I think I would really like that or I think it would suit me. And I tell them what you just said, which is involvement. Get involved. Get involved on your state level. It opens doors to higher national levels. Say yes to these invitations. Be involved. And, and speak your voice because it really is truly what brings you to these experiences. Yeah, very much so, uh, you know, and you get to meet great people. So it's a little bit of uh, idol worship with Dr. Ward right now, because <laughs> when I was out for two years, my wife went with me with, so it may have been three years. Um, I got to see this gentleman have this kind of newer philosophy that there's good out there and you're going to meet challenges 
but you figure out how to deal with those challenges. So that's probably, you know, I'm yes, I'm serving the AVMA, but I'll tell you what, I've gotten a lot more out of everything than I've put into it. Hey, and Doug, you can help me because, you know, I'm a big fan of the AVMA. I'm always trying to get involved. For some reason, they don't always want my involvement. <laughs> so, Oh, please, I'm a vet tech. You think I feel sorry for you not getting involved with the AVMA, my friend? But what I do like and, and where, where I want to turn the conversation now is to the future challenges and so forth, because I am, I mean, you know, I mean, Doug, like you, I mean, we, this is our life, man. We, we, we love this profession. We love not only what it's done for us, but what we've done for so many others. And we just want to keep, you know, there's, there's two kinds of people, right? There's people that say, Hey, I got mine. You get yours. And there are those that say, Hey, I got mine. Let me help you get yours. And you are clearly in the latter camp, but let's talk about some of the challenges. And so the first thing right off the bat, we talk about it here all the time on the podcast, and that is student debt and how it is completely changing what it means to be a vet, what the expectations are of veterinarians, and actually recruitment of future veterinarians. So kind of where, where do you stand on student debt? What do you think we can you know, re- reasonably accomplish with the AVMA? What, what, what bit of advice would you offer out there? So, you know, student debt, we've been talking about it for a long time. And, and I, if I had the silver bullet, uh, you know, I'd be running the whole profession. And obviously, <laughs> right. I'm not doing that. But I think, um, Ernie, that it, it, we need to we need to look at the cost of education. I think we need to look at streamlining education a little bit, but that's not putting it on the veterinary colleges. I do think that we have to, uh, you know, post veterinary school, we have to look at compensation for for our profession. And Becky, I'm not leaving CVTs out on this. I heard, any stretch you. Of the I heard you stop yourself, and I love it. I'm giving you a big virtual hug. Um, so I think that portion of it is really important, Dr. Ward, and and we continue to talk about student debt, and now it's probably time we need to go to phase two and try some things. And that means if they don't work, that's okay, but I think we need to try some things. But then I'm going to talk about the other part of the equation. We need to talk with the Pre-Veterinary Medical Association, and we need to probably, as far as um, take it to the high school levels. There's a there's you know ninety five thousand plus veterinarians. Um, we can start talking at the high school level for some people that may not have even thought about veterinary medicine, right. so that they can start prepping it early. Right? If we keep all of our debts down prior to veterinary school, that's less money we have to pay right. back. That's what I'm te- at least that's what I'm preaching to my seventeen year old son Zach right now. <laughs> no, it's it's, it's the same. And I've got a daughter of freshman in college. Our kids are very we similar both do, age. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but Doug again, I, I love the fact, I mean, I do agree with you hundred percent. I mean I've been outspoken for twenty plus years on saying, you know what, the undergrad requirements for veterinary school are probably disproportionate to the uh, compensation. So I love the fact that and, and certain schools are starting to, as you mentioned uh, or put it, streamline the process. So maybe getting kids in a little earlier, which can help reduce their student debt load without impacting the veterinary uh, curriculum at all. So I, I love that you're actually talking about those kind of things openly. Yeah, I love the idea of getting to students early. You know, we've talked about this is the, the lack of diversity in the profession Like, it probably has a lot to do with that outreach. Exactly that. So I love the idea of getting involved and being proactive and getting in front of some of these problems in educating people early, I think is so smart. Being proactive instead of reactive, which, you know, not to, you know, not to be hateful to our profession, but it's, it's, it's novel in our approach. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so obviously student debt, we've talked about that, but then another thing we talk about a lot for the past three years on the podcast is sort of this disenfranchisement that some of the younger veterinarians feel. They feel that there's really no voice for them. Quite frankly, you know, Doug, they're more involved on Facebook groups and Instagram than they are with the AVMA or their state association. So what are some of the things that you think we can do to, to maybe encourage participation from this new generation of veterinary, uh, veterinarians and veterinary students and, and maybe even CBTs? So it, the first part, it sounds very simplistic, but it's hard. We need to listen. We need to listen to what the concerns are. Sometimes I know I've been in roles where I think I know, Dr. Ward, what you need, and I may know what you need better than you know what you need, and that's me not listening. So I think listening is number one. I do hear this, that they don't have a voice, and that kind of hits me um, at home, right? That, that, that tells me a few things. So every member of the AVMA has a voice, um, and and what we have to do is let them know how to use their voice, use their voice effectively. So every state has two representatives that go to the House of Delegates, and and if you're fortunate enough to be in an allies organization as well, every region also has a member that represents them at the board of directors level. Um, and then in all honesty, they also have the vice president, president, president-elect, and past president that can be their voice. I want to be approachable. That was one of the things when I first said that I was running, that I am here to serve the membership. I'm here to serve the members. I'm here to answer questions. I don't know all the answers, but boy, there's a lot of smart people that can help me with that. And what I get from that is I get to figure out where the pulse is, where, what are the concerns, um, and that helps me become a little bit more in touch. And if they don't know how to get there, how to reach out to someone, I can help them find that person. And I think that's really important that that still that personal bond is there. And and you talk social media and, and social media is a double edged sword. Um, I'm on it. Um, but sometimes it allows us to run a little bit farther than maybe we sure. could or should. Yeah, yeah. But I agree. It's it's going where they are, listening where they are. And even if it's just a social listening exercise, I think it's super important. Uh, and, and, and let's face it, you know, whether whether we agree or disagree with social media, you know, that's where they tend to be and they're congregating there. And I think that, you know, again, I want to see the AVMA inserted in those conversations as much as possible because it is so important. Yeah, again, you know, Doug, people used to always look, I, you know, I, I've been involved with AHA and, and I, I certainly am desperate to to increase my participation with AVMA. But people often say, you know, okay, look, what it doesn't seem to do any good, right? You know, they, they, they feel frustrated that, again, getting like, like you said, they just don't feel like they have a voice. But where else can you be heard, right? I mean, if you, if you are listening today and you feel that your participation is only as good as an Instagram post or a Facebook comment, I'm going to tell you right now what Dr. Kratt just said was vital to the success and future of our profession. And that is you need to find out who these people are and talk to them. And I'll be honest with you, Doug, I, I, I don't mind putting my leaders to the test. If you aren't getting responses from your leadership, if you reach out to them and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this and you're ignored, kick it up, you know, take it out, share that because I have, I do not have the patience anymore. And again, I'm coming from also running for politics in, in the regular part of the world. And you have got to listen to your constituents. 
Sure. And so, you know, speaking to having a voice and, and being represented, I obviously, you know, want to ask about veterinary technicians. It's been out there for a long time and a, and a frustrating point for a lot of technicians that they are not allowed uh, membership into the AVMA. And additionally, on the state level, right, I think there's 17 or 19 state VMAs that do allow either active or, you know, um, professional membership to the VMA uh, from non-DVMs. What are your thoughts there? Uh, what's what's the plan for you? And, and kind of what do you have to say to about that? Because I know for a lot of technicians, it's frustrating. And earlier this year, there was the um, management company uh, representation of NAVDA with AVMA. And, and so I think there's some hope that that will kind of develop into some movement. So, Becky, first of all, you're right. There's 17 states that have membership for non-DVMs. And Wisconsin happens to be one of those states. And we've only recently done it. I think we're in our second year. Um, and the AVMA does have limited seats right now for CVTs to be serving on different entities within the AVMA, again, because they, they're of value to bring that forward. Now, I suspect that will continue to expand, by the way. Um, Council on Veterinary Services just got a seat for a certified veterinary technician on there. Oh, that's um, great. I think team approach is really important. We, you know, we're not all private practitioners, but that team approach is really important and it has to be valued. Being able to um, leverage the parts of the team to do what they're trained to do makes us all better. And honestly, ultimately, it's a better product that we're putting out for our, for our profession, for the public. I love that. And I appreciate that Wisconsin has made the change. I think for a lot of places, we just see the difficulty in saying, oh, I, I get it. And, it, and it's funny how often, uh, again, it's seen as movement. Oh, a seat just opened up for technicians. <laughs> and, you know, even even when we talk about the CVTEA, it's not chaired by a veterinary technician. It's chaired by a DVM at this time. And so we get into these frustrating points for technicians. So I love to, to know that there's some movement. Um, again, I always say we're not a consolation prize. And so I, I think that looking at making those numbers a little bit more equal would be amazing. And I'll tell you, uh, as I told our own state VMA, and, and probably to an unpopular opinion, was otherwise maybe consider the change to American Veterinarian Association um, if it's that exclusive. <laughs> I, I hear you. And, and Becky, I, I could I hear be, you too, Becky. I hear you too. So. Becky, Appreciate I could be that. wrong, but I believe the CVTEA can be chaired by a technician. And I could check that. My wife's not in the I'm building right now. Yeah. Or believe me, she would have already schooled me on the answer. Get her on here. Maybe she's our next guest. And and I'm you know I'm hopeful for for you for that. And in Dr. Craig, I know that you are a be- a big supporter of veterinary technicians. And I think that's a lot of the reason I felt comfortable putting your feet to the fire because I knew we'd have some positive answers. And, and we're really looking forward to that. And you know I, I get the gift of speaking for technicians sometimes through this outlet. And so I, I want to say thank you and and um you know to please consider pushing that to the forefront. We need it. We really do. Well, and I know we're going to run tight on time here, but there are two other things I just want to ask you about, Dr. Craig, as you you know sort of get your head straight for next year because I know you're you're pulled in a thousand different directions and I'd love to have you back because you're always a friend here because we want to make sure your voice is out there to the tens of thousands that are listening uh, that are in our profession but the first thing involves the VCPR uh, the the one sort of credit that I was able to finagle myself on was the AVMA Committee on Telemedicine, Telehealth. And uh, so while I'm not sure everybody appreciated some of my opinions on that, um, this is going to continue to be a contentious debate. Um, what do you see during your presidency? You know, the, Are you going to be talking about the VCPR? Is this something you're going to be interested in progressing or at least evaluating? What, what do you think is going to happen over the next uh, couple of years? Well, I definitely think the VCPR is going to change. Dr. Ward, if you served on the telehealth aspect, 
aspect of things. You know, there's multiple VCPRs that we talk about across right. across the country, um, but I think you hit the crux of it: telemedicine and telehealth. Um, is going to be very imperative on looking at that VCPR and how it'll affect the right. different states. Um, if everybody says, you know, what do you think about telehealth? What do you think about telehealth coming? And my response is, it isn't coming. It's here. It's already been here. And as a veterinary profession, we better embrace it and figure out how we it can serve our profession the best versus letting it go outside of our profession and have it right. defined by someplace else. So the VCPR, I think, is a living, breathing document. And I know that is a cliche, but the VCPR from five years ago isn't the same VCPR that we need today, and it won't be the same VCPR we need three years from now. Right. Because we talk about telehealth and telemedicine. Let's talk about artificial intelligence if we want to start right. getting people to get a little bit anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I really appreciate that. And, and I would love to have you back, uh, you know, certainly as you get closer to your presidency or even during when, if you have yeah. time, um, because, you know, these are issues that are super salient. Um, again, I'm not here today to we're not going to debate it. We've had lots of guests talking about both sides of the VCPR. What I believe your role is, your central responsibility when it comes to issues like this is to lead. Because, uh, Becky, how many times do we say on this podcast, we want the veterinary profession to lead in these very difficult, challenging topics whenever possible. And the VCPR Always. is just a classic example of yeah. one of those where if we're not careful, if we don't provide guidance to the state. And again, the AVMA has no regulatory or any type of licensing or, or legal you know, stake in, in how a state you know defines and, and, and regulates the practice of veterinary medicine. But what they do is provide structure and guidelines. And that's where the role is so important. I guess the final thing, too, that I want to talk to you about, we've, this comes up constantly on the podcast, and that is the increasing role of consolidation within the profession. And not just in terms of, oh, wow, lots of clinics are being sold, but in the power that these conglomerates actually hold. How is the AVMA under your presidency going to be reaching out to some of these entities, maybe trying to involve them more? I think, you know, obviously people sometimes that work for these corporations or these large conglomerates feel like, you know, that their conglomerate or their group speaks for them. But how can we as the AVMA actually reach each of those individual members and give them a voice, even though they're within this bigger organization? So it's very good. You, you hit two different points. So we have to understand what the goals or the objectives is of the consolidators, right? I think that's right. one portion of it um, to see how it melds within the industry and how it may change the landscape. Are they a disruptor? Um, exactly what's happening with it. But we right. still talk the individual members. Um, they're, they're employees of those groups, but they're still member veterinarians and they may open up their own practice a week later. Or they may go back into private practice. I think right now what we're seeing is a little bit of a change of the landscape. I think people are pretty anxious about it, but I do truthfully believe there are so many that our profession is so diverse as far as what we can do. Um, that there's still so many niches there. I'm a, a privately owned practice, you know, I'm quote unquote a corporation, but I'm a corporation of one site. Right. And I think that all of those models still work and they work for the veterinarians as well. Some veterinarians use those models so that they can travel the country and be able to stay inside. Um, others use it so because of the support that they may have when they're first coming out or end of career. It's there, but I think the most important thing is we need to be at the table together, having conversations at the corporate level to understand what the goals are, but then more importantly, 
from my aspect, I need to be sitting there talking with the members. So I don't ask them right. if they work for ABC Corporation or they're a solo practitioner or they're in industry. I listen to what their concerns are and I try to answer and be honest with them to the best of my ability. I can always be honest with them, but to answer their questions to be to the best of my ability. Yeah, so if you're listening today and you are a veterinarian and you work for one of these uh, conglomerates or corporations or whatever you want to call them, uh, I think it's super incumbent on you to become a member of the AVMA and become active because you do have a voice and what you say matters to those in power like Dr. Douglas Kratt, the uh, incoming president uh, next year for the AVMA. And more importantly, as these corporations consolidate power, I mean, this is going to be... I do foresee a time in our lifetime when this will be a power struggle. And, and we really want to make sure that our individual voices are heard and they're not lost in this big, giant corporate shuffle. So, again, I appreciate <laughs> you actually talking about this, Dr. Crap, because it's this is going to be important. Maybe not as you know, maybe not directly in your presidency, but certainly, you know, during your leadership phase. Thank you. I, I agree. Well, listen, I, I, we could go on and on. I want to thank you so much, uh, Dr. Douglas Kratt, for, for speaking with us today. You're one of the few AVMA elected officials that has uh, dared to join us, talk about tough topics, and you have done it brilliantly. So I appreciate that. If you have a question for us that you'd like to make sure we get to the AVMA, de definitely hit us up on social media. Uh, I'm sure that AVMA will be watching this very closely. So if you have comments or questions, I mean, this is a good forum to put it on. But I want to thank you so much, uh, Dr. Kratt, for not only not only for joining us today and, and really not only for being a veterinarian, but for all you've done to sort of help us. I mean, you have really pushed the ball forward, uh, certainly in Wisconsin and now in the United States. And I got to tell you, it's just really an honor and privilege to talk with you today. Well, I think the uh, privilege is mine to be able to get my voice out there. And remember, I'm one of the voice of the board of directors, but I don't view that I've done anything. I view that I'm doing my part and that all of us together, Ernie, um, make a difference. And I think that's the biggest portion of it is I said I don't have an agenda um, because we all if the agenda changes every year, we're, we're also not going to make it anywhere. So I think all of us working together within the profession will make us a much stronger voice. Yep. And if you want to make a difference, join the AVMA. Make sure you contact your state representatives and hear what they have to say. And then, of course, share your opinions on that. If you'd like to reach us, of course, you can reach us on iTunes. You can reach us on Google Play. You can reach us anywhere. We're on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder, Instagram, Veterinary Viewfinder, and, of course, Facebook, where lots of conversations take place every week. Veterinary Viewfinder. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder, and go on over to iTunes, leave us all the stars and some feedback if you would. We really appreciate to hear your comments, your feedback, and I know Dr. Kratt would love to hear your support. Very much so. Until next time, bye. 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 Yay. That was great. Uh, Thanks, Dr. Kratt.